Section 17 of Melor of the Silver Hand and Other Stories of the Bright Ages. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Melor of the Silver Hand and Other Stories of the Bright Ages by David Byrne. The Story of Ephraim. In Nisibis, sixteen hundred years ago, lived a lad named Ephraim. He was the son of poor parents who were good Catholics, and who had indeed suffered much for the faith, for they lived in the terrible times of the Emperor Diocletian, and the wonder is that they are known only as confessors and not as martyrs. Their son gave them much trouble. The wrath of his high spirits is his ruin, says Ecclesiasticus. There is danger in mere high-spiritedness unless it is kept in check by prayer and sacraments. In itself it is a lovable quality enough, and one that, joined to the fear of God, is likely to result in something very good. The light-heartedness of the saints is a proverb. But high spirits in conjunction with a fiery and passionate temper and a careless, heedless disposition is bound to bring a man into great trouble sometimes to irretrievable ruin. Ephraim's high spirits were of this description. Laziness opens the door to every kind of sin, and he seems to have been incurably idle. Ripe for mischief of every kind was Ephraim, for if he was sent on an errand by his parents, he acted like the young man in the parable, saying, I go, sir, although he only made a pretense of going. He had some knowledge of the Catholic faith, but according to the customs of the age and the place, his baptism had been put off. At first sight, stone-throwing on the part of a country boy does not seem a very serious matter, though when it is recklessly continued it may lead to very sad results. Wanton cruelty is quite another matter. And when we hear of Ephraim setting to work deliberately to stone a cow that was in calf, and continuing this until the poor beast fell dead, we feel that unpromising material is a very mild term to apply to him. The day upon which this happened, he had been sent by his parents on an errand to a neighboring town, and it was on his way out that the boy seems to have stoned the cow to death, spending hours at the task for he drove it before him into a thick wood, and it was sunset before the animal expired. During the night it was eaten by wild beasts. Returning home the next day, Ephraim met on the road the poor man who owned the cow, not suspecting that it was dead, but knowing something of the lad's character, the man asked him if he had driven the animal away. The only answer the poor fellow got was a torrent of abuse. Congratulating himself upon his escape from what might have been a serious charge, for the Syrian law in regard to property was a severe one, Ephraim was again sent out of town on some business for his parents. In passing through the wood, he came across some shepherds who proved such good company that he loitered with them until nightfall. It was too late then to continue his journey, and so he stayed with them all night. When morning came, there was a great to-do. During the night, 
the fold had been broken into and some valuable sheep carried off. That Ephraim was in league with the robbers they never doubted. They thought that he had got up in the night and shown the way to the thieves, pointing out the best and fattest sheep. The boy protested and swore and cried, but they would not listen to him. Prison, said they, was the only place for him, and to prison they dragged him. Now in the matter of sheep-stealing, a crime for which men in our country were hanged not so many years ago, Ephraim was entirely innocent, and when he found himself locked up, he began to cry very bitterly. There was no one to help him, no one to pity him. It was his first experience of prison life, and he found it painful. And yet there was worse to follow. To lie all day on this little heap of straw with heavy irons locked on his ankles was bad enough. But what of the trial that awaited him? Boy as he was, he had heard much of the awful tortures that were inflicted upon prisoners in the courts of that still pagan country. Of the sentences of lifelong slavery, of fearful mutilation, and of terrible modes of execution. In a land that was still heathen, mercy was almost unknown, and Ephraim had not the smallest reason for hoping that his tender age would be a plea for pity. He knew that boys as young as himself, even younger, had been condemned to die on the gibbet for breaking the laws of their country, that some indeed had suffered the fearful death of crucifixion. The boy was not alone in his gloomy prison. Two men awaiting trial lay in chains in the same vault as himself. Both were accused of serious crimes, and both declared that they were innocent. Well, this struck Ephraim as being very curious, and he began to think about it a good deal. Of the crime with which he was charged, he knew himself to be innocent. Was it possible that his fellow prisoners were equally guiltless? One night he dreamed a dream. He thought that some very noble-looking person came to his side and said to him, Ephraim, why are you in prison? At once the boy began to declare his innocence. Yes, said the shining figure, you are innocent of the crime of which you are accused, but what of the poor man's cow that you drove to its death? Be quite sure that no one suffers without reason. And as a proof of this, when morning comes, listen to the talk of your fellow prisoners. On the following day, the two men spoke together, and one of them, who was charged with murder, said to the other, I declare that I am not guilty of taking away the life of a fellow creature, but I will tell you of a vile thing I did only the other day. As I was passing over a bridge, I came upon two men quarreling. One of them at last took hold of the other and threw him into the river. Now, if I had tried, I believe I could have saved that man. Unhappily, I did not, and the poor fellow was drowned. Then, to the utter astonishment of the boy, the other man began to make a somewhat similar confession. I am absolutely innocent of the thing for which I am awaiting my trial. Nevertheless, I have done something which is very bad. A certain neighbor of mine, when he was dying, left his property to be divided between his daughter and his two sons. The young men wanted everything for themselves, and they bribed me to give false evidence by which the will was upset, and the poor girl was deprived of her share. 
but nearly six weeks went by before ephraim and his two companions were brought to trial the men were tried first but the boy prisoner was in court during the whole time neither of the men would confess were they not both innocent and to the lad's great horror the rack was brought in the men were stripped and fastened to it hand and foot an awful terror came upon the boy as he saw his fellow prisoners stretched out upon the instrument of torture and his cries filled the hall but the officers of the court and the people who were standing about were merely amused by his evident fright and gave him the coldest of all cold comfort what are you crying for lad they asked him it's of no use howling now you should have thought of the rack before you stole the sheep you're bound to get a taste of it very soon the boy was really half dead with the anticipation of the torture that was before him and it seems probable that he swooned away from sheer fright happily for his companions before their case was finished both of them were able to prove their innocence and so they were set at liberty but there was no time left that day for the trying of ephraim and he was taken back to prison in a few days he found himself with three companions in irons instead of the two who had been released and curiously enough the new prisoners turned out to be the two brothers who had defrauded their sister out of her property and the man who had thrown his enemy into the river and so with these undesirable criminals ephraim lay in prison for another six long weeks a wretched time it must have been for the boy with the terror of the torture still hanging over him as well as the trial at which it seems quite possible that he would not be able to prove his innocence of the robbery it is no wonder that he began to pray though still unbaptized his good catholic parents the very thought of whom was an agony to him as he lay in prison had carefully instructed him in the christian faith and like many another poor sinner now that he found himself in serious trouble he turned his thoughts to god he could not but feel that there was a certain fitness in his punishment and yet the horror of the rack was naturally enough strongly upon him and with all his might he prayed god to have pity at length the day came when the prisoners were chained together and brought to the place of trial again the grown-up criminals were examined first and again that terrible rack was brought into operation but this time the men were found guilty and after being severely racked were sentenced to lose their right hands ephraim's turn had now come questioned by the judge the young prisoner declared that he was innocent this is the plea of every criminal said the judge here take and strip him and fasten him on the rack more dead than alive the unhappy boy was stripped of his clothing and was about to have his hands and feet lashed to the wooden rollers of the rack when a servant entered the court and told the judge that it was dinner-time and that his meal was ready and waiting very well replied the judge in that case i will try this boy some other day take him back to jail and so the lad escaped the rack this time also in the extremity of his terror he had made a vow that if only god would deliver him from the punishment he dreaded so much he would become a monk well he had been delivered that day just in the nick of time in a most sudden and unexpected manner 
But what of the dreaded future? It seemed likely that that awful dislocation of his young limbs had only been put off to an unknown day. Happily for Ephraim, for this third trial, he had not long to wait. It is probable that some good-hearted officer reminded the court of the length of time the boy had been in prison. At any rate, the judge thought that he had been punished quite enough, and to his intense joy his shackles were removed and he was set at liberty. What think you did the boy Ephraim do as soon as he found himself free? Did he go back home to his parents, stoning cattle by the way and stopping to play with every shepherd lad he met? By no means. Everybody knows the old couplet beginning, The devil was sick, the devil a monk would be, and it is certain that many promises are made to God in times of sickness or peril that are not fulfilled in seasons of health and safety, but Ephraim had taken a vow and he intended to keep it. He knew that in the mountains not far off there lived an old hermit, and to this holy man he would offer himself as a novice. It seems at first sight that for such a life no lad could have been less fitted. Probably he himself doubted very much if the hermit would accept him. However, he had made a vow, and he would do his best to fulfill it. He was not ignorant of the kind of life that he would be called upon to live, and yet, hard as the monastic rule might be, he did not shrink from it. Hands and brain would both be fully employed, and his food would be of the scantiest. But God had delivered him from prison and from torture, and Ephraim must needs prove his gratitude. The sufferings of the last three months had made him thoughtful. If an earthly prison was so gloomy, what would hell be like? If the pain of the rack was so much to be dreaded, what of the punishment in that place of endless torment? The saintly old man to whom he went did not refuse to receive him. In good earnest, Ephraim began to engage in two of the healthiest exercises known to man, prayer and work. He became a sailmaker. At the same time, he began to use his head. Through no fault of his parents, his education had been neglected, and he had everything to learn. But he was in earnest, and when man or boy begins to put forth the full strength of his will and the energies a good God had given him, there is not much that he cannot do. Certainly Ephraim did wonders. There was that bad temper of his to control and to subdue, and like the sensible fellow he was, he began with that. The notable thing about this lad was his great earnestness. God had been good to him. Ephraim was bent upon proving his gratitude. Sorrow for sin became his chief exercise. He was determined to repair the past. But he had not withdrawn himself from the world in order to lead an idle life. Brain and hand were now fully occupied, and he was earning the bread he ate. In this way, he bade farewell to idleness for evermore. For the rest, had he not put himself under the obedience of a holy and experienced abbot? And is not everything possible to the obedient? No boy, no man, becomes a saint in a day. Naturally bad-tempered, he had to struggle hard with his irritability and ill-humor. The point is 
that he did struggle and that every such struggle however unsuccessful it might seem to be was a victory once after he had fasted for several days and was just going to sit down to a mess of herb pottage the brother who was carrying the bowl let it fall well said ephraim cheerfully to the rueful-looking monk if the pot won't come to me i must go to it and so he took his seat on the floor and picked up what he could from the broken basin ephraim's baptism made him a new creature the past was forgiven the sins of his youth were washed away grace was offered to him and he accepted it fervently and thankfully used it determinedly and assiduously henceforth he was all for god his was no half conversion applying himself to manual labor and at the same time exercising his memory by learning the whole of the psalter he gave himself generously to the duties of his vocation it was soon discovered that his abilities were of a high order and his superiors encouraged him in the study of philosophy and theology after long preparation ephraim obtained leave to go to edessa in order to hold conference with certain holy hermits who lived in the mountains close to that city and here he remained receiving the holy order of deacon he began to preach and his incredible fervor and zeal bore immense fruit he who in his own life was such a wonderful example of penitence won from god the great gift of touching the hearts of sinners and numerous were the souls that he brought to christ he was possessed of an extraordinary faculty of natural eloquence words flowed from him like a torrent which yet were too slow for the impetuosity and multitude of thoughts with which he was overwhelmed in speaking on spiritual subjects his conceptions were always clear his diction pure and agreeable he spoke with admirable perspicuity copiousness and sententiousness in an easy unaffected style and with so much sweetness so pathetic a vehemence so natural an accent and so strong emotions of his own heart that his words seemed to carry with them an irresistible power but he did not confine himself to preaching to the glory of god and for the good of souls he began to use his pen though ignorant of greek he was a perfect master of syriac and in this language he wrote what may almost be described as a library of ascetical and theological books heaven had endowed him with a great gift of poetry and this he used with the utmost skill to increase the knowledge and love of the redeemer wonderful is the beauty and sweetness of his poems on the nativity of our lord and on the mysteries of religion and perhaps no poet has ever written more eloquently or more worthily than ephraim on the dignity and holiness of our blessed lady some of the heretics of his time the manichees the millenarians and the marionites had spread their errors by means of songs and hymns for these ephraim substituted many beautiful compositions of his own to the great spiritual gain of the people of edessa if the life of saint ephraim for saint we must now call him were not so well authenticated and if so many of his writings were not in evidence 
we might indeed hesitate to believe that the more than unpromising material of his boyhood could have been moulded to the shape of a doctor and the father of the Catholic Church, and of one of the greatest masters of the spiritual life in the fourth century. It is true that the early life of this saint is told in different ways by different authors, and this is easily accounted for. Ephraim himself frequently related the story of it to his monks, and, as often happens in such cases, in writing it down they were not all equally accurate. Even the erudite Alban Buckler gives a version which, in some of its items, does not tally with the more detailed and critical work of the Bolandists. Indeed, it seems as though Father Butler thought that St. Ephraim exaggerated the wildness and sinfulness of his youth, though this learned hagiologist admits the stone-throwing episode, the false accusation of sheep-stealing, and the boy's subsequent imprisonment and trial. But from the long and copious records of the Acta Sanctorium, it is clear enough that whatever many other men may have been, Ephraim the Syrian was not a saint from his cradle. He may not have been a monster of iniquity, but it is certain enough that he gave no promise of sanctity. Probably, indeed, of all the boys in his neighborhood, he was the least likely to distinguish himself, either for learning or holiness. In short, he is a marvelous example of a sinner who sincerely repents asks for, receives, and uses the grace that God is always ready to give to those who really seek it. More than that, he's an example of one who in the beginning turned to our Lord from the motive of fear. It was sheer fright, the abject terror of the rack, that first made Ephraim cry mightily to heaven. So there was nothing very noble, nothing in any way heroic, in the beginning of this wonderful change of life. Happily, that which began in fear was continued in contrition and ended in love. His deep sorrow for sin made him very dear to God. His soul was that of a true penitent, of one who walks humbly and proceeds cautiously, who has no trust in himself but an unbounded confidence in God. In the beginning of his conversion, Probably the last thing he thought of was that he would ever be able to minister to others. It seems almost certain that his humility prevented him from receiving the priesthood, and that like St. Benedict and St. Francis, he remained a deacon to the end of his life. He loved solitude, and after a term of preaching would retire into the desert to refresh his own soul with prayer and meditation yet he was always at the call of duty and showed his readiness to benefit the bodies of the people as well as their souls once when the city of edessa was severely visited by famine st ephraim boldly rebuked the callousness of the rich for allowing the poor to die unsuccored your wealth will be your damnation he said to those who were heedless of their obligation in performing works of mercy Frightened and ashamed, they pretended that there was no one to whom they could entrust the proper distribution of their alms. Then give me that office, said the saint. As soon as he had received sufficient money, old as he was at the time, he fitted up no less than three hundred beds in the public hospitals and began to tend the sick and the starving with his own hands. 
It was the last public undertaking of his long and useful life. It was as though the great God had kept him alive until the cessation of the famine, for when his services were no longer needed, he returned to his cell and died after a few days' sickness. At the time of his death, which took place about the year 378, St. Ephraim had reached a very advanced age, but the date of his birth is not known. Ancient writers tell us that he was very tall, and that his countenance was singularly sweet and beautiful. In his old age he stooped considerably, and though his eyes were often swimming with tears, his features were wonderfully calm and serene. His devotion to the adorable sacrament was very great, and among the last words that he wrote we find the following. Entering upon so long and dangerous a journey, I have my viaticum, even thee, O Son of God, in my extreme spiritual hunger, I will feed on thee, the repairer of mankind. So it shall be that no fire will dare to approach me, for it will not be able to bear the sweet saving odor of thy body and blood. With his last breath he preached, and the entire population of the city crowded to the door of his cell, forbidding every kind of funeral pomp, he again and again begged prayers for the repose of his soul, and then, turning to God in silent prayer, he gently passed away. End of section 17